My guest today, Hazel Courtney, in 1994 became the UK's first alternative health agony aunt in the national press with a column called What's the Alternative in the Daily Mail. In 1997 she moved to the style section of the Sunday Times and was voted Health Journalist of the Year. And later, in 2000, Hazel created her own TV show for Channel Health and has appeared on TV and radio and regularly lectures around the UK and overseas. In her youth, she suffered numerous chronic illnesses, ranging from ear infections to acne, glandular fever to chronic fatigue, plus thrush and several broken bones. In her twenties, as an air stewardess, she collected illnesses instead of souvenirs. Colotus and dysentery were interspersed with liberal amounts of surgery. After her second marriage in 1980, when her husband inquired as to what was her disease of the day, her chance remark was to change her life. She began researching nutritional medicine and alternative therapies, and as her knowledge grew, friends began turning to her for advice, and her reputation for being a health expert was born. Somehow, she always seemed to be able to point people in the right direction. In 1998, she underwent a near-death experience, which caused her to leave the weekly column. In her book, The Divine Intervention, she tells this incredible story. And the sequel to this book, The Evidence for the Sixth Sense, was published later in March 2005. Her new spiritual science book, Countdown to Coherence, was published in the UK in October of 2010 and in the USA in the spring of 2011. She was recently quoted, Coherence denotes everything coming together as one, and scientists have demonstrated that if we all want to become more enlightened in every sense of the word, then it's crucial that we learn to become more coherent at every level of being. Her book explains how to start your own unique countdown to coherence. Hazel Courtney joins me on In Discussion. Welcome to In Discussion today, and it is a great privilege to be talking to Hazel Courtney from the United Kingdom. Hazel, welcome to you. It's wonderful to be on the show. It's absolutely, it's a, an absolute honor for me. Hazel, I have been following you, was introduced through Susie Anthony, and it's going to be a wonderful 45 minutes together. You have enjoyed an amazing journey, and I'm not sure whether you're aware, but part of the success of the programs is I take all my guests briefly through their childhood and then create the narrative for the listener. Could we start off by just briefly talking about your childhood and where you grew up? Sure. I grew up in a, a place called Coventry, which is in the centre of England, and I come from a, a very, very poor background. I had uh, my father died when he was 49 of a heart attack. My mother was a cleaning lady, and I wore calipers when I was little, and I was very badly. I, I wasn't expecting to speak about this, but anyway, okay. And I was very badly bullied as a child, but that taught me a very important lesson that if you can laugh at people who are bullying you, um, then they kind of lose their power over you. So I kind of got over that phase of my life. And my father died when I was about 16, which had a huge impact on my life. And my mother was a saint as far as I'm concerned. 
I had a fairly poor education um, and I had wanted to go on to become a doctor um, from school, but we were too poor and my father said, you better get a job. And I got a job for one night at the age of 16 as a children's nanny and I survived in that job one night because my father died at uh, five o'clock the next morning and my brother came to get me and the next day I was an employment agency to try and get a job and I was just about by then I was maybe 16 and a half 17 years old and I met a young man who looked just like my father and I think you know what's coming next um, we ended up sleeping together a couple of times and I got pregnant and in those days if you got pregnant you had to get married so uh, as I walked up the aisle to get married I lost the child that I was expecting and I went on to have another child she's now 42 um, and I remarried at the age of 30 and I've been through all kinds of careers I I started my training as a midwife because I was definitely of a medical, you know, inclination. And because I was earning so little money, I couldn't, as a single mother, I couldn't support my child. Because, by the way, my husband left me as soon as he was found out I was pregnant. And then I became an air stewardess because the nursing um, pay was so minuscule. I was an air stewardess for, oh, crikey, eight years. And then I met the man I've been married to for the last 31 years, and we don't have any children at all. And um, I became interested in spiritual subjects in my late 30s when I went across our garden to meet um, a neighbor of ours who, um, whose husband had just collapsed and died. And I thought that she would be hysterical and crying and so on. And she, she wasn't terribly upset at all, and I was quite shocked about that. And she said, well, I can hear my husband whenever I like, and I can see him. And I thought, like, she needed a psychiatrist and some Valium. Uh, but it turned out that she was a medium, a spiritual medium, and she gave me a channeled book. And it was like, David, a light had gone on in my head, because up until that moment, aside from being a fairly vacuous individual who was sort of struggling to keep going with a single child and so on, uh, it was as if I had been reborn in that moment. And I started researching almost everything to do with spirituality, and my neighbor taught me to meditate. And a few years later, I had a dream uh, when I was about 43. This person came to me in my dream and said, write, you have to write. And I woke up the next morning and said to my amazing husband, I said, I'm going to become a journalist. And he said, of course you are, my dear. And within six months, I became the UK's first alternative health agony aunt in a newspaper in the UK, a national paper called the Daily Mail. And I went on to become an award-winning columnist with the Sunday Times magazine until... I went through a massive near-death spiritual emergency on April the 8th, 1998. Let me stop you there, because that's a great segue. And just to explain, Hazel, from the first minute that I 
walked into this studio in November of 2009, I had decided to take my guests back to their childhood because I realized that our childhood defines our entire lives. And it was actually Sir Michael York who called me after the program, uh, one of my earlier interviews, and said, my goodness me, you actually brought me back to a time and I talked about events that I had never thought about. And so I wanted to give you that definition of why we started there. Are there any particular memories in childhood, though, now looking back at this age, that you hadn't considered? Crikey, that I hadn't considered. Are there any memories that I had not considered in my childhood? Because we are all very conditioned. As our parents were conditioned and their parents were conditioned and we are conditioned think, throughout our lives, we sometimes yeah, get think, to this point I mean, and we can, we can see things or remember things possibly through these conversations that we would never have thought of. Um, I think I was conditioned to believe that if you come from a very poor background, then the only way forward for you is to work hard. Um, my parents gave me a great work ethic, but I was also made to feel, I think, when I was young, that perhaps I was never good enough. And I think I've fought against that all my life. Isn't that amazing? Because it's almost, uh, to me, Going back thousands of years, it's almost like the Inquisition. It's this idea of placing guilt on people. I think you're right. I think we've got generations and many, many, many lifetimes of guilt, lack of forgiveness. Um, I think we've been programmed to feel not good enough, not rich enough, not black or white enough, not, not radical enough. You know, and I'm, I do get a bit tired of these, um, if you like, these balancing acts and this, this judgment that we all have about each other. And don't get me wrong, I'm no saint. You know, I read the papers and I think, well, how could that person do that? But I remember for a few years I was, a, well, I still am a member of the press to a certain extent. So in the end, you learn that a lot of things that you read are not actually true. And so I've, come to learn um, I try very hard not to judge because I don't know the whole story I don't know what a soul's purpose has been chosen by that soul and so I try to think that we are all divine beings in a physical shell as Bill Tiller and people like him have long told me and because I had my own divine intervention as it were um, I think that we all need to take a long, hard look at ourselves and stop thinking what's in it for me, but also to start forgiving ourselves for all the things we think we've done and for all the guilt I carry on my shoulders at the fact that my daughter didn't have a father because he left. And so I felt that that was my fault. You know, many years to forgive me for that. Let me ask you, this is interesting because everything that you're talking about here to me in working very closely with Bill Tiller and Dranvalo Malkizadek and others is talking about another frequency, another dimension, another reality where we become one with the universe and all it becomes is love. 
Well, when I went through my near death, I tell you a little about that experience. Of course. I walked into Harrods, which is a very famous store in London, and I was at the time a journalist with the Sunday Times. Easter was approaching. I was very busy. I ran into Harrods to buy some Easter eggs for the family who were coming that weekend and to buy some bread. And as I went through the turnstile in the bread hall, um, it stuck fast. And in those few seconds, it wouldn't go forward and it wouldn't go back. And this huge explosion of, of electrical energy shot um, up my spine and I felt as if my heart was going to burst. And I sure felt as if my head was going to burst. And within about four seconds, I had a voice in my head that I knew had not emanated from me, Hazel, the very down-to-earth journalist. And I obviously knew that something rather strange was happening. And I rang my doctor. He thought, and I thought that I'd got minutes to live. I thought I was going to die just like my father. I thought I was having a massive heart attack. So they managed to get me to my doctor within, I don't know, 15 minutes. And as I think you also know, when you believe that you've only minutes to live, it really focuses your mind on what's important in life, which, as you've just said, is love and your family and those that you care about. But anyway, as the doctor lay me on the floor and put all the heart monitors on me, he, I realized I was feeling his thoughts in my head. And when I started to tell him what the cardio cardiologist was saying on the other end of the phone and uh, what he was thinking, I'm not sure who was more shocked, whether it was him or myself. Is this what you define very much as a psychological death? Oh, no, that came later. Um, no, that definitely came later. I mean, my experience went on for six months. This definitely precipitates it. It's always oh, definitely. But anyway, so the doctor told me to go home and have a cup of tea. And when I got home, considering the shock I just had, um, I looked far younger. My eyes were a different color. And I realized that something very special was unfolding. And I started to levitate. I could hear spirit as clearly as I can hear you now. Um, and it's a very long story which was told in my original book divine intervention but the point is that over that easter weekend with a medical doctor living with us i went through a profound uh what i would call near death experience where i left my physical body and moved to what you call another frequency and i found myself I died of shock, by the way, because I just couldn't take what was happening to me. I mean, imagine one moment you're a very normal person going about your life, and the next minute you feel like you've been plugged into this ultimate supercomputer. Anything I needed to know in the moment I needed to know it, I knew. I was manifesting ash, but I didn't know what was going on back then. Let me just ask you, you're now in a different level of reality and you find there that as bill tiller says space time is irrelevant time is irrelevant totally um, do you see that as being an offering of ascension that you can either accept or decline based upon where you are in the universe based upon whether you are still holding on to the human frailties the three-dimensional world that we have so possibly there is a case where you can either move on to a different reality or stay where you are. There's an option there. I think um, 
with me, the option was, Spirit said that if I would return to my physical body and write the truth, my story of exactly what happened, then I could come back and do that. Um, but I, on the ceiling, as it were, me, my consciousness, Hazel, who I am, a being of information and energy, um, I had no wish per se to return to this unbelievably messed up body that had shriveled below me because I was so shocked that that was me in the bed below me with the doctor stroking my forehead. So I think there was a certain choice and yet it, it almost was as if I was being allowed to come back to continue my journey in this instance. And I believe that I came in with a sole purpose to go through that experience at that time so that I could pass on the science that I have learned to others in a language that ordinary people can understand. Because obviously once I'd gone through that and I was able to affect what some people would term miracles for a time, which of course I can no longer do, I'm very grounded now, but that set me on the journey to find people like Bill Tiller, to find people like Professor Frederick Travis in Iowa who explained to me what the difference is between a totally enlightened man or woman and the rest of us in that their brains are acting as one unit. And I, for several months, felt I and my mother, father, God were as one. This is what m many people, as Dranvelo, Bill Tiller, David Icke, talk about, that we become the universe. The universe is us. We are the universe. We are everything. We are absolutely everything. And it, I think it's really important for people to realize that at the moment of the Big Bang, when our time and space was birthed, you, in the first second of that, after that explosion of energy, could have held the universe in the palm of your hand because it was less than the size of an atom and a million atoms fit behind a human hair. And so when you think that in that moment that everything that ever was was already there and so atoms came along I don't know 300 odd thousand years after the Big Bang and all those atoms we're made of atoms everything in the universe is fundamentally made of atoms and so you now David could have atoms inside you that were once inside Mohammed or Jesus or indeed a car I mean a, a road sweeper in Bombay but we all contain everything within us and atoms have memory. Everything you need to know is already inside you. All you need to do is access it. And that's what I did on that day in Harrods. I seem to have instant access to what Tiller calls the uh, magnetic information wave level that people know as the etheric level. Um, boy, was I ever coupled to this endless, infinite um, consciousness that contains all information and we, we all have as our birthright this potential to do this to to couple with these other levels of reality but nobody needs to go through what I went through to, to understand that we're all divine beings in a physical shell L let me ask you there that's interesting you you say that we don't all have to go through it I am certain in my life that I have been through a psychological death this last 15 months and see, feel, hear the similar things to 
to the way that you define them. We are in a world of chaos, at least in this reality, and in the whole scheme of things, it probably doesn't mean much. We are still here, we'll always be here. Perhaps we're moving through an epoch now. Well, I think it's evident that we are moving through an epoch. Barbara Marx Hubbard defines it as a rebirth, because when we go to another reality, we are just but children. In fact, when we go to another reality, we we see everything completely differently and we start again. But looking at today and looking at the chaos that we have in the world, is this perhaps something that we could appoint to people generally? Because there is much chaos, there is much pain, and people are traveling through this internal chaos now. I think that... Um well, first of all, not, not everyone on the planet's in chaos, although when you watch the news most days, it certainly does appear that way. But I think that as Tiller, Professor Travis, and all uh, Alberto Velodo, all the people that I've met on my journey, they say, if you can find the space between your thoughts and make peace with yourself, which helps uh, what's known as coherent brain functioning, hence the title of my current book, when your left side of your brain and your right side of your brain becomes more synchronized and you can find more peace within yourself and your brain therefore starts to act in a coherent fashion, um, it acts as one single unit, you then access this utter bliss and this utter peace and coherence is catching. So for every single one of us that can send out more positive thoughts, that can act positively, that can set our egos or our desire for money or power to one side, um, then I would say that you can find that peace and coherence is catching. So when they do trials of people who sit and meditate with an inherent wish to do nothing more then awaken the underlying field of intelligence, which some people call God, which underlies all of life, then miracles can and do occur. When meditators sat and um, just asked for peace in Bosnia, in Israel, and many other places, there are 50 published trials on this, uh, the amount of deaths, the amount of um, injuries went down, the amount of people who were actually um, fighting at the time went down. They've done trials like this in Miami, and when they did it, um, crime rates went down. Uh, less cars were stolen. All kinds of wonderful things can happen. Crucial right now that we all find peace within ourselves so that that can spread around the world and yep. onto our global grid. You're talking, of course, about the strength of intention. You know, it's interesting, Dronvalo Melchizedek, he talks about this 60-foot tetrahedron that we have around our body. And if we start thinking that way, believing that way, eradicating all the human frailties, if you can imagine how that adapts, changes, enlightens people around you, as you say, if you bring people together en masse, knowing that each has this huge 60-foot circle of pure power and energy around them, then the possibilities are endless, I would suggest. Uh, they absolutely are endless because I knew that I... But the trouble is, you see, I, like I was giving... Um, I, I was seeing into people's souls, so I was... I was looking into their souls and I was pulsing this divine energy through my eyes into theirs. So in other words, we can all become vessels for the divine energy and that's what truly enlightened men or women are doing. They are 
they and the field of information has become as one. There is no longer any separation. Um, and so I would say to everyone that if you can find peace within yourself, this peace spreads to others. And we live within God. We live within a mind. We're not conscious enough to know or even understand what God is or what people think of as being God is. But we live, I think it's really important to know that we live inside it. So therefore, everything we think um, adds to the whole. But as Bill constantly says, when you think have sustained, focused intentions, they attach to the whole more readily. Um, so the more that big groups of people can meet together with a single intention of bringing peace and harmony to this planet, the more that adds to the peace and harmony within the whole mind that we live within. We are all part of God and all parts make the whole. That would raise the question, and I'm going a bit off track here, it's a two degree turn, but I'll come back to the centre of the road, is that how do you see the world today it, we are in a chaos we're seeing definitely the entering into some sort of epoch we're seeing huge problems with the climate with fossil fuels with people around the world how do you see the next couple of years um i see the chaos actually increasing for a while um i think the middle east is i think we stand at a very, very vital crossroads. And I think that if we can somehow make, come to some sort of dialogue with countries like Iran, things could go very badly awry indeed. Because when I was in that heightened state, I was able to see many of our potential futures. And some of them were terrible, and some of them weren't so terrible, and some of them really weren't too bad at all. And as I know that we're creating our reality, I see things unfolding in a way that this is a very gentle process um, for the people who want to awaken. And there are an awful lot of people out there that don't even know who they really are. So first of all, the truth has got to come to the surface. So what we're seeing in the Middle East is people who have been repressed and suppressed and tortured for generations and generations. And they're now basically saying, as we can all see, we've had enough. We don't wish to be repressed any longer. We want the truth. Uh, but the truth that they're looking for and the ultimate truth that they will later find is going to take some time. So this is a process that is going to take quite a few years, but I think we're at a really crucial crossroads right now. And how we all start behaving now is really crucial to the outcome in about 50 years time. You know, when I first put this website together back in September of 2009, I wrote this statement that we are the generation of all generations. I see as a social historian going back many hundreds of years that we have defaulted. We've always said, okay, let the youngsters take care of this. We'll make the mess and continue it. We'll default to them and let them sort it out. I do believe that our generation is the one who has to find that moral courage 
and actually right what has been wronged for so many hundreds of years. Would you concur with that? I would absolutely concur with that, but I think a lot of people are very frustrated. Like, for instance, I'm watching the news, say, about Japan, and my heart is breaking for those poor people and what they're going through. And then you see what's happening in Libya and Bahrain and Yemen and all these places, and you think, my God, what could, you know, this is terrible. But the more we all buy into the fear and what we'll do is we'll send more fear to the to the consciousness to the to the to the grid if you like of our of our world and what we give out is what we get back so it really is important that we should all try and be as positive as we can i can't change what's happening in libya now but i can go out and help my neighbor tomorrow i can give to charity when and if I get the money, I can be kind to people and I can live my light. So I think if everyone in their own small individual way, we're all links in a chain and we're definitely all ultimately from one source. And the more we can add positivity and love to that whole mind that we live and exist within, the sooner you will get this like huge leap of consciousness when you will see people starting to be kinder to each other, a huge flowering of the arts. And already we're seeing it in very, very small ways. For instance, America supported the Japanese yen last week to make the, uh, the yen weaker so that the rebuilding of Japan could be made less expensive. Now, even four or five years ago, that would have been unheard of. Nations are coming together uh, whole countries are going broke, which was forecast in many channel books years ago. Barbara Marchanayak, I don't know how you pronounce her name. Marcinac. Uh, right, Marcinac. In her brilliant book, Bringers of the Dawn, she channeled information, oh, you know, 15 years ago, saying that countries would go broke, that people would have to walk away from their homes and never go back, and everything would be stripped from them. Like everything was stripped from me on that Easter Sunday, I went on to lose my job. I virtually lost my life, but obviously I didn't, otherwise I wouldn't be talking to you now. I almost lost my marriage. So I think sometimes you have to get down to as low as you can get before you can climb out of the pit. And Bill Tiller, when I asked him, what is God to you, Bill? And he said to me that in the beginning, everything, all things, all levels of energy were one. In the beginning, everything was totally coherent, which is what he says God is. Let me ask you then, you let me just put this statement to you, because I'd like to see if you agree with it. If I said to you, in order to gain everything, you have to lose everything. I think you do. I think sometimes, you know, I'd had so many messages that... I was meant to be doing this other job, that I should be more spiritual, that this, that. But I wasn't listening. I was busy. And the world's been busy. We've all been, not all of us. You can never um, make uh, blanket statements and say everybody's after money or everybody's after power because they're not. There are many, many good people in the world. But I think that, yes, collectively, um, before you can make something beautiful, sometimes you have to make a bit of a mess. You know, um, if, if you want to 
build an amazing building, first of all, you have to set good foundations. And sometimes in the middle of a building project, it looks a hell of a mess. But at the end of the day, you might have a beautiful building. And I think we have potential here to build something very beautiful. We can make earth, heaven on earth, but we have to build our foundations right. And so I think at the moment we're in the building process and we're in a bit of a mess. But the more people that can wake up and start being kinder to each other, the sooner we can stop this absolute chaos. Because sometimes chaos gives you a really good opportunity for change. If you talk to scientists and you talk about chaos theory, of course they say that it's part of it. Again, looking back at civilizations, when civilizations or em empires implode, you have the chaos. It's part of the course. It's part of the universal gate that you have to go through, I believe. Do you think that looking back at the 1960s, where I always state wrong or right in programs that you had a group of people who knew very well how to burn the building down but not how to rebuild it, that where we are today is in part a result of that era? Oh, totally. I mean, I'm a child of the 60s, you know. I was very much into Eric Clapton and all of that. I was in my teens in the 60s. You know, there was all the flower power and if you're going to San Francisco and all that. But we were just interested in being free. You know, we had the pill all of a sudden. So it wasn't so much that we were being spiritual. It was as if there was something going on, but nobody could quite put their finger on it. But now science and spirituality are and definitely coming together. There's so many people sticking their heads above the parapet. And now we know what us children of the 60s were trying to birth, but we just didn't know it then. And so a lot of people in the Middle East know that they're trying to birth something, but they don't know what it is, but one day they will. Let me ask you with that said, we can talk in esoteric terms, but if we look back thousands of years to the pyramids, even look at the Stonehenge that I ran around for the first 20 years of my life, these are uh, reference points. They're part of the ley lines, they're part of the grids, and they were obviously points of universal powers. Uh, from from the galactic center and and do you see that there is an external force here that is steering the direction of this Dranvelo talks about we can talk about solar flares or or the uh, impact of the moon's gravity but do you see other forces out there that are part of this in this epoch that we're traveling through now oh god i mean we were born of an of an intelligent consciousness that we can't even begin to comprehend. I think personally, I'm really coming to the conclusion that we live inside or exist inside some kind of fantastic non-physical parallel computer. I mean, I asked Bill, there's a lot of books out there like Gary Renard's written a book called The Disappearance of the Universe in which he says that this existence, this universe in which we exist is nothing more than a hologram. And of course, the scientists at Fermilab, who are massive government-funded uh, science labs, they say on the outer reaches of our universe, they are now seeing evidence of pixelation, which means that it is potentially possible that we may be a hologram 
that's being projected from the outer reaches of our universe. But when I took this up with Bill Tiller, he said, well, the physics that we have right now makes us real. We're real. If I kick you, it would hurt your leg. And if you did the same to me, it would hurt my leg. But he said that we are growing so quickly and a lot of scientists agree with him that there will come a time that we can at the moment make holograms of light, but there is coming a time when we will be able to make holograms of substance. So when you say, is the soul of this? Absolutely there is. But I think we're some kind of experiment in that they've given us a certain amount of free will. And so it's up to us to learn how powerful we really are and who we really are and once you couple with these other levels of reality believe me you've got access to virtually limitless capabilities but if you had access to limitless capabilities you would need infinite wisdom to go with them so when I had my experience my ego completely took over eventually because I didn't have the wisdom I didn't integrate my newfound tricks as I used to call them, my new inherent capabilities, which of course eventually disappeared. But the point is we need to really start taking responsibility for all of our actions and live more consciously at every level. And we need to grow in wisdom and have our brains become more coherent so that we can become aware of what we are, what is our birthright actually I would say. Let me just ask you, would you agree that we have to become closer to Mother Earth, we have to feel what she's feeling and we have to understand here that we've been in a, a male brain dominated world for so many thousands of years and perhaps this is indicating that we have to move to the right brain heart way of thinking and that this is possibly why I say that this is and could be, as Dranvelo says, one of the most important epoch changes that we've ever had then that could be clarified or confirmed just by uh, the prophecies from the Hopis or the Mayan calendars would you agree with that well I think that it, it goes back to the question like I'm a health writer so I'm I, I think that the world and consciousness itself has gone as you say completely out of balance and so what we need to do is on mother earth i mean there's a huge growing green movement that's the world over some of it's very misinformed there's a lot of misinformation out there but there is on many people's part an intention to take more care of the planet because they're finally getting the message or some people are finally getting the message that it's the only planet we've currently got to live on and so unless we start taking care of it we're not going to be surviving much longer and so I think that yes of course mother I mean I even when I was in that very heightened state I was aware of every plastic bag I was aware of how we're throwing them all away and how the fish are swallowing them and I could see how people were just you know buying, using for five minutes and throwing stuff away. And I became intensely and acutely aware of how we are, many of us, mistreating the planet. So obviously after the experience, I tried to live more consciously as much as my lifestyle and, and the way I am allows. Like I try and only eat organic food and I recycle all my paper carrier bags at the supermarket. You know, so definitely Mother Earth. And uh, we need to 
love her a lot more. That goes without saying. And I agree that we have had a male energy that's been dominating us because women have been, or the female energy has been re repressed for so long. And in many countries it still is. But there is now a rise in heart-based thinking. We need to think more with our hearts rather than our heads. And we, as I said much earlier, we need to place our ego to the good of the whole. I'm not saying that you should give everything you've got away or kill yourself trying to get this message out. I'm j otherwise, you become part of the problem and not part of the healing process. So I just think we all need to figure out what we can do from today to make a difference. Looking back over your life, could you ever have believed when you were a youngster that you would be in a world that you're in now and the endless possibilities that we have? I had absolutely no idea. What used to matter to me was shopping and clothes and who was famous. And now they're the least important things on my list. So I think because for a, a wonderful time I won the spiritual lottery, I had a fantastic glimpse of who we are and what we're capable of. And I just, I saw for a short time the bigger picture. And so I would say that if people can look beyond their own environment and look beyond themselves sometimes, then they should know that there is a bigger story in play here and we're all part of it. Hazel Courtney, I do thank you for joining me today. And I thank you for allowing me to speak. <laughs> and to our listeners today i do hope that you've enjoyed this program as much as i you can gain information on this and any program in the series at davidgibbons.org meanwhile wherever you are in this world good morning good afternoon and good evening david gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org this programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.